A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, we welcome you to the show and welcome to a gathering place for people who have accepted the reality that we are not sheep. If you get nothing else out of listening to this program, I hope it's acknowledgement that not only is it okay to think for yourself, but you are most certainly not alone, although you're made to feel that way quite often. Eric Peters from EPAutos.com joins me. Eric, great to connect up with you once again. As always, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you know, we we talk regularly about the the ongoing shift in society, particularly the mask mandates. And you have been posting very regular updates. Actually, what do you call them? The the diapering updates? (laughs) Yes, exactly. For purposes of ridiculing it, it should be funny. But, of course, it's very serious. So tell us about uh, your latest experience. It sounds like you had had a doozy of an experience earlier this week. Well, I did. Uh, I had a scheduled dentist appointment at the dentist that I've been going to for at least 10 years, uh, who I know personally and, and, and thought that I was on a friendly basis with. Uh, my appointment was scheduled for 8.30, and I realized people are uh, triggered by people who are walking around without the face diaper on, and I knew that they probably wouldn't have um, any seats in the waiting room. So I sat in my truck until literally 8.28, figuring I'd just go in. They know me. I'd check in, walk back, and that would be the end of it. Well, I walk in, and, uh, of course, everybody is all diapered up. And uh, the woman behind the desk, who I've also known for a lot of years, uh, gives me a knowing look. She takes my temperature, confirms I'm not sick, asks me a few questions, and I think that's going to be the end of it when another woman, who I've never seen before, comes rushing out, thrusting a face diaper at me. And I told her, no, I'm not putting the thing on. Then my dentist comes out. And mind, I've known this guy for 10 years. I've just established that I'm not sick, objectively, scientifically, by having had my temperature taken and obviously not suppurating and coughing all over everything. Nonetheless, this guy comes out, and he's practically dressed in something short of a moon suit. He's not only got the diaper on, he's got the plastic face shield on, the gloves on, and he basically demands that I put on the diaper. And I told him, and I probably could have said, well, I have a condition, but I didn't want to even do that. So I said, I'm not playing sickness kabuki. And that was the end of it. I was denied service and turned on my heel and left. And so now I'm going to become a toothless uh, mullet-headed, because I can't get a haircut either, uh, (laughs) wrong wrong thinker. Oh, man. On the one hand, I'm sad to hear that this is what it has come to. On the other hand, I have to give you mad respect for for being willing to, to suffer the discomfort and inconvenience of standing up for yourself and asserting your liberties. Well, you know, it's important. This isn't just uh, a single stand. There's a a saying that's going around that I think is important uh, to repeat as often as possible. It's just a mask. Well, uh, two or three months from now, it's going to be just a vaccine, and it's going to be just uh, mandatory testing and just mandatory contact tracing, just mandatory cashless society. Where does it end? No, and I, I applaud you for pointing out it's the direction that we're going that merits a very... Uh, healthy skepticism about what is being not just asked but demanded of us. Uh, I, I just heard from a, I heard from a friend last night who tried to go shopping. I think it was at Walmart, and was turned away because 
Mm-hmm. He didn't have a mask. And he said, OK, well, Walmart, I, that's the last time that I will even try to shop there again. And in right. responding to his post, I said, well, welcome to the margins of society. And, and I really believe this is what we are headed for. Free thinkers like you, uh, problem children like you and me, we are we are being pushed to the margins where I guess it will be easier to deal with us and in, in our inability to submit to those who know better. I think that that's true. That's the goal. And that's why I think it's particularly important that we don't cave to this. Uh, I think we spoke last week about courage being contagious. And it really isn't all that courageous, frankly, to walk around without a mask or a diaper, as I say, uh, to go into a store in defiance of the policy. And it's important to say that word correctly. It's a policy. It's not a law in most places. And, uh, you know, you, you can usually just get away with just walking in. At any rate, by doing that, you dispel this visual of uniformity, which they're trying to create. The whole point of all of this all of a sudden concerted effort to uh, just pressure every person to walk around with this diaper on uh, is to create the idea that this is uh, an absolutely essential thing and that everybody buys the narrative. Everybody believes that death is in the air, and that is absolutely necessary in order to get people to accept the next thing, which will be the tracking and the vaccination and the forced testing. They know it, and that's what this is all about, ultimately. Eric, let's talk a little bit about uh, why it makes sense to question this narrative. I mean, we are being conditioned through fear that, oh, this is the worst pandemic. This is this is such a threat to us. But let's talk about um, t- to maintain this state of hysteria. Things are being reported in a way that that tend to slant the numbers to make us believe that this is far worse than it actually is. What are you seeing from your vantage point that says maybe they're not dealing with us truthfully? Well, maybe. I mean, how about factually? Uh, of course, they're uh, reporting almost on a 15-minute uh, hourly, every uh, every constant news cycle basis, the, new, the latest number of cases, cases and cases, which we've talked about before, which is me- as meaningful as such uh, as reporting the number of cases and cases of acne or dandruff or what have you. What's relevant and the thing that isn't being talked about is something called the infection fatality rate. In other words, how many people who get this bug Uh, actually die from this bug. That number is very, very small. And that's why they're not talking about the bodies anymore. Remember, initially at the beginning of this crisis, they were telling us that there were going to be millions of dead people, hundreds of thousands of dead. And of course, they had to stop saying that because, you know, bodies are actually tangible things. Corpses are are physical things. It's very uh, pretend that they exist. You actually have to produce the body, as it were, the corpus delecti. And since they've been unable to do that for the most part, they've had to hype this cases, cases stuff, uh, hoping and, and frankly succeeding that most people aren't going to ask the, the necessary and proper question, well, okay, does that mean I'm going to die? I mean, if you get a case of the common cold, you get a case of the ordinary flu. So what? As such, does that mean you're going to die? The facts are that the average age of a person who dies supposedly from the coronavirus is practically 79. And, and most of these people are already fragile from one condition or another type of condition. That's not to minimize their deaths, but it is to point out the fact that for most people, the vast majority of people, this is not a lethal thing. It is perhaps reasonable to put on a mask if you're going to go visit somebody at a retirement home, if you're going to go into a hospital. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with terrorizing the entire population and forcing everybody from a little kid to a healthy 25-year-old to healthy middle-aged guys like you and I who aren't going to die from this thing and who probably won't even get any symptoms from this thing to walk around wearing a diaper on our face. I don't know if you have seen, there's a recent article in Reason uh, about uh, COVID-19 infections in the U.S. 
at least according to a study by the Journal of the American Medical Association, may mm-hmm. be up to 10 times greater than reported cases. Of course. You know, I, I, the question pops into my head almost every day now when I hear about these cases, these cases. How many people are, like, w- lining up every day just to get a case, I don't under- to, to get tested? I don't understand that. I think that probably the, the, the overwhelming majority of people in this country have not been tested, and I think if they were, possibly they might test positive for having had the, the, the virus or antibodies for it or whatever. I'm not, I'm not an immunologist, but I think it's very clear that the number of people who uh, have had or, or may have had it at some point is extremely large, and that's actually really good news because of the number of people who have not died. You know, that, that is whole, the whole basis for calculating the IFR rate that we were talking about a moment ago. And it, it, it just bears back to the point that this is not the Black Death, the bubonic plague. It's a bad flu. That's what it is. And yet, somehow, they have managed to PTSD the entire population by this concerted, organized, manufactured fear campaign. No, and I think you nailed it right there. We're, it's the sensationalized reporting of, of, you know, the cases and, and the idea, you know, every, every report has a blood-red graphic showing us, look at this, and it's, it's mm-hmm. made to make us scared. And, and the question that should be on our mind is, okay, but to what end? As you mentioned before, the, the um, masks are just the beginning and it's going to yield to something that somebody is going to tell us. The same people telling us you have to wear a mask today are without question going to be the ones telling us shortly, you know, the masks don't work. You need a vaccine. Of course. And a part and parcel with this is that they want to demoralize everybody and make everybody so miserable by having to walk around with this idiotic diaper on their face all the time, by not being able to do normal human things like get together with your friends, uh, go shopping. Just do the things that normal people did six months ago, that they'll practically line up in desperation to get their government-required vaccine when it becomes available because it'll be promised, look, you can finally take off your diaper. All you have to do is submit to getting the vaccine and submit to getting chipped and tracked and whatever nefarious, awful things that they have in store for us. And it can be resisted, but this is where we've got to dig deep and find a little courage and stand up and say yes. no. Yeah, and I think that that's very important. You know, as kids, we were, we were told the stories of the, uh, the American movement for independence, and those men actually did risk their lives and their fortunes, everything, uh, for the sake of their liberty. What are we uh, in a position now to lose? We might get kicked out of Walmart. Uh, we might get a fine. Nobody's going to kill us yet for not wearing a diaper. Eric Peters is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Once again, my guest is Eric Peters from epautos.com. And I strongly recommend, if you're not visiting his site on a regular basis, you really should. Eric covers a ton of interesting subjects, including all things automotive and, and a lot of great freedom stuff as well. And, um, Eric, one of the things that, uh, that you were commenting on recently is how difficult it is to, to get information out there when, when, with a flip of the switch, you can, can be uh, mm-hmm. effectively sidelined. 
That's right. Well, it, the article by that title refers to something that happened the other day. It actually happened on the day that I got uh, refused dental, dental service because I wasn't diapered up. Um, I had to get up early to rush down there, and that's why, of course, I, I missed doing our regular show on Tuesday. But in any event, I was trying to check something on my site using my phone. And, and normally, when I begin to type my name, which is the same as the site, into the search engine, the, the, you know, the URL comes right up, and I can get right on it. Well, it didn't come up. And I thought, wow, that's odd. And I kept trying other ways to get to the site, and it wouldn't show up. I put it aside, uh, thinking it was probably some glitch on my end with my server or, or what have you. And a few hours later, I got back to the house, and I, I checked the, the, news, uh, the news outlets, as I try to do throughout the day. And that's when I found out that I was not alone, and it was not me, and it was not my server. Uh, it turns out that Google and these, uh, these, these tech oligarchies had summarily just turned off, essentially, uh, all the wrong thinkful sites out there. And they even conceded this later on in the day, they, but they claimed it was just a bug, just a random glitch, except... It was a random glitch that affected only the wrong thinkful sites. No problem with uh, <laughs> CNN, MSNBC, and all of the, uh, you know, the, the Pravda sickness psychosis dispensers. Uh, and then they turned it back on, and now everything's working again. But I think it was a shot across the bow. I think it was their way of telling us, meaning you know, wrong thinkful people, look, we can shut you down anytime we like, so be advised. It was a threat. That's how I interpret it. I, I love the term wrong think. I just, I, you know, as, as I say for my motto, I revel in it just because I, I'm so sick and tired of the cancel culture, you know, the woke mob that, that will tell us mm-hmm. what is acceptable and what isn't. I'm actually going to be talking more about this later in the hour, but um, have you had people come after you directly to try to silence you because, you know, you speak of things that uh, must not be spoken? Well, not yet, curiously enough. Uh, and I'm not an MMA fighter or anything, but I'm a pretty big guy. And, and now I look like a, a fairly uh, rough and rednecky guy because I haven't had a haircut this year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I walk around outside without my diaper on, and thus far I've not had anybody uh, harass or hassle me. Uh, I actually have had a number of people uh, uh, join in cahoots with me because I go out of my way now when I see somebody, for example, at Kroger or any other place that has this diaper policy, undiapered, I go up to them and I say something like, it's great to know I'm not the only person who's sane in the nut house. And invariably, we have a nice chat, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we kind of grow our numbers that way. So I, I encourage everybody out there who is on the same page as you and I are to do the same thing. Be social, be friendly, smile at people who aren't wearing the diaper, and encourage this, this act of very important civil disobedience. Because if you think about it, what they're doing to us right now is essentially the same thing as having the sign out in front 50 years ago that said whites only. Yeah. Well, we're we're getting a taste of what it's like to be second-class citizens. Yep. And, and it's yeah, I mean, look, I'm not try, I'm not trying to, you know, so you're comparing yourself to Rosa Parks. I'm just saying Oh, yes. <laughs> I just we should. Okay. We absolutely should. We are being we are being diminished and 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 and, and practically tortured and excluded from society. Not on the basis of anything we've done, right? We haven't done anything to anybody. We're just trying to go out about our business and live our lives. And yet we're subject to this increasing diminishment, this decrease in the social of our, or the circle of our ability to act based on what exactly? This asserted risk. Well, it was asserted 50 years ago that all black people are dangerous. You've got to avoid them. We have to keep them separate, right? Yeah, it's, wasn't, it's that, the, wasn't that the argument? It's the same mindset. I, I see what yep. you're saying. 
Now, you you so, are a regular contributor to LouRockwell.com, so I'm guessing you're probably yep. familiar with Becky Akers, who's also a regular I am. contributor. She I ha- am. She's wonderful. She has a, a great comment uh, that's, that's on the, I think it's on the Lou Rockwell uh, blog, about uh, confidence. Dazzle them with your confidence. And, and she actually shares, uh, I guess, from one of her readers, an experience of going into the store without wearing a mask. And, and this reader, like you, just simply exude some confidence, you know, a pleasantness. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, don't yep. ha- you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be furtive. In fact, uh, if you just do what you're doing, like, you know, the, I'm supposed to be doing it this way, most people will acquiesce and not give you a hard time about it. That's absolutely correct. All of this is dependent on the, the basically what we're dealing with is the schoolyard bully who relies on intimidation, but ultimately he's a coward. He picks on people he perceives to be weak and submissive. And as soon as somebody stands up to the bully, the bully usually backs down. That's the paradigm that we're working with right now. Well, I think it's important that we sway people to our side, but uh, but here's the the key. Persuasion is king. I don't want to browbeat yes. people and and, and for no. this reason, I'm I'm a little bit less aggressive to to shame them, but uh, you know, like you, when I see someone who is is exhibiting courage, I like to let them know that their courage is contagious, that they've infected well, me with right. what and, they're and doing. Clear, I do not I don't I don't uh, I don't mock people in public for uh, putting on the diaper. I understand the pressure that they're under. And in particular, I'll give you a specific example. These poor kids who work as uh, checkout people uh, at my Kroger. I you know, I know some of them and I and I and I talk with some of them and they'll you know, they'll make sure that the coast is clear and they'll they'll you know, they'll nod their head knowingly. They don't want to wear the diaper, but what are they going to do? They're they've been told that if they don't wear the diaper, they can't work. And a lot of people are in that same position. And a lot of people just don't have the, uh, the good fortune to, uh, to just quit. They have to figure out a way to, to eat and earn a living. I, you know, I thank God that, I, you know, that I'm essentially a self-employed person, so I haven't got some corporation telling me that I have to put on a diaper before I start pecking away at my keyboard. That's actually something I'd like to examine for, for the next couple of minutes with you. Making mm-hmm. yourself cancel-proof. And there's tell me about the risks involved in being a self-employed person. It's not like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, (laughs) it's easy street, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I actually don't think it's that risky. There's this false premise that uh, working for a company somehow provides you with security. But but does it really? uh, Aren't you essentially an at will employee? which means that, okay, this week everything's great, maybe this year everything's great, but then for whatever reason the corporation decides it doesn't need you anymore, maybe it goes out of business, maybe it gets bought out, and they fire you. Then what? You know, you've, you've put all your eggs in that basket. You're dependent on this corporation for your economic life, and now that rug has been pulled out from under you. So and it's- when, you work, when you work for yourself, of course things can also go bad. You know, you may have difficulty making money this week or next week, but at least you're the captain of your own ship, and you have a degree of control, and you know you're probably not going to fire yourself for no random reason. No, absolutely spot on. It's, it's very clear. Academia has long since been taken over by the woke mob. Uh, Paul Rosenberg calls him the barbarians, and I think rightly so. But so has yep. corporate America. And, and yep. trying to keep your corporate overlords pleased so that they won't uh, kick you to the curb is becoming tougher and tougher. It doesn't take much to, to get yourself fired. In fact, people will seek you out for something you liked on Facebook five years ago yep. and go to your corporate overlords and tell them you must get rid of this person. Yeah, I think an aspect of this uh, that is probably, to me at any rate, the most important is the degradation of it. It's no longer enough just to do your job well, uh, show up for work, uh, and, and whatever your, your purpose there is to do it well. 
you now have to submit to all of these things that are peripheral to anything that involves your work. The diapering is an example, but also other things. For example, most corporations now require uh, employees to pee in a cup as if they were people at an outpatient drug abuse clinic somewhere to establish that they aren't addicts, which I think is enormously degrading. You know, that's something that I could never do. I wouldn't do that. I'm not given any reason to believe that I'm a dope fiend, so why do I have to pee in a cup? It's, 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 it's humiliating. Well, I don't know. That long hair, you know, I'm, I'm just saying. Well, you know what I mean? That <laughs> no, kind of I, thing. I and, then be forced, and then be forced now, you know, right now, with all of the peaceful protests and such going on, to if you're a, you know, if you're a white guy, you have, to, so you have to genuflect and pretend that Marxist Black Lives Matters movement uh, is uh, essentially uh, three notches above uh, beatification in the Catholic Church and what have you. And, uh, and, and must be given hosannas and approval, or else you're going to get fired. You know, the heck with that. Who wants to live that way? Eric, it's great, as always, to talk with you. It's, this is like a, a little uh, shot in the arm of courage for me each week. I encourage my listeners, go to your website. I look forward to our next conversation. Me too, Brian, always. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, welcome back to the show. You know, I find myself talking a lot about cancel culture these days, more than I would really like to. And yet, I think this is, this is one of the signs of the times that we live in, and therefore, I think we have to pay attention because this this is the strongest indicator that I can think of of this incredible polar shift that's taking place in our culture. And that's the emergence and the normalization of the so-called woke cancel mob. And for those who may not be as familiar with the term, look, this is these are the people, the elite who get together and uh, go through anything that you may have said or done either recently or maybe you tweeted or posted something or even liked something on Facebook, you know, 10 years ago. And they will go back and find something that just doesn't hold up to what is acceptable under today's standard of political correctness. I mean, it's a no lose situation for them because. Those those standards are always shifting. The goalposts are always moving. And what was acceptable just yesterday may suddenly be considered a great affront. You know, I, I would point you no further than the uh, uh, syrup aisle <laughs> at your local supermarket to see how that works. No more Aunt Jemima. Uncle Ben's rice is gone, too. Even the guy on the cream of wheat box. Well, we've decided these are all symbols of racism, blah, blah, blah. Everything is shifting. And there are people who are working overtime to convince us that, no, 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 cancel culture is really not a thing. Or I saw an article in Vox today, uh, very long, filled with sophistry article describing how cancel culture isn't really about free speech. It's about making it possible for these formerly marginalized voices to be heard. Except in order for that to happen, you know, come on, let's let's state the obvious. You have to shut up other people. So it is about free speech. It's not about bringing someone else to the platform and saying, here, speak your mind. It's about we need to silence you. We need to put a gag on you to make sure that uh, this person's voice is more clearly heard. Okay, now that's not how the marketplace of ideas works. But then again, these are people who don't exactly believe in free markets because they know bad ideas will be crowded out by better ideas and they, they won't stand up to scrutiny. 
the truth will always win out in a free, open exchange of ideas. I think I'm almost quoting John Milton (laughs) in saying that. So what do you do about it? How do you recognize it? Matt Purple, writing for the American Conservative, (laughs) reminds us that the, the new elite, the woke cancel mob, is simply trotting out the old power dynamics and pathetically shadow boxing authority. But he says, they are the ones who are in charge. And if you think it won't affect you, you had better think again. In fact, if I can, if I can just give a quick example, this is just a personal example. My daughter, who is studying to become a nurse, um, she works as a CNA at a local hospital where she lives. And cancel culture isn't strictly about politics even. Cancel culture extends to something as simple as the nurses and the CNAs and other healthcare workers in the hospital where she works have all been advised when you go to your car. And she lives in a state where there is a mandate. Everybody has to wear a mask whenever they're out in public. Now, when they wear a mask for 12 hours in a row and they are getting off shift and they're walking out to their car, what would a normal person do? You and I don't know darn well what they would do is they would take the dang mask off and take a few grateful breaths of fresh air. Any of us would do this. But my daughter and her co-workers are being told, don't do it. Because there are people literally hanging around in the parking lot there at the hospital trying to get pictures of these nurses and others coming out with their mask off or moved to the side. And they want to get pictures so they can go post it on social media, so they can shame them, so they can take it to their higher ups and say, see, these people aren't following the mandates and encourage them to be fired. That's how cancel mob culture works. Yeah, you think you were safe, right? You think, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not a prominent person. I'm not saying provocative things. You don't have to. All you have to do is catch the attention of one of these uh, small-minded, small-souled individuals, and they will direct their frustration for their own failures on you and see what kind of a price they can exact. And they'll feel totally justified in doing so. It's, It's sickening and it's sad. But it's something we need to be aware of. And, you know, it's it's not something you can fight if you don't at least recognize the problem for what it is. The article I have here by Matt Purple starts out with the line, if only we could all live pampered lives like Salman Rushdie. He says last week, several dozen writers and intellectuals published a letter in Harper's magazine that condemned, although they never used the term explicitly, cancel culture. The signatories included Margaret Atwood and Martin Amis, uh, Gloria Steinem and Steven Pinker. Well, the missive itself was a fairly routine statement of classical liberal principles. The free exchange of information and ideas, it reads, the lifeblood of a liberal society is daily becoming more constricted. It also said the restriction of debate, whether by a repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurls those who lack power hurts rather those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. Now, the political right under Donald Trump long ago grew illiberal, the signers say. Now the resistance to Trump and the online woke are going the same way. And Matt Purple says what happened next was utterly predictable. Conservatives, despite being denounced as illiberal in the very first paragraph, didn't attack the letter or demand consequences for the signers, or sneer themselves into post-anoxic comas on Twitter. You know what they did? Mostly, they praised the document and passed it around. The left, meanwhile, began a four-alarm hissy fit that's somehow still ongoing today. He says the letter was accused of fanning a moral panic. 
cancel culture was dismissed as fake news, a repackaging of normal political passions and activism into a counterfeit bogey. Now, Matt Purple says, mostly, though, progressives just crammed the letter into their usual class war. The signatories were tagged as elites trying desperately to safeguard their privilege. In contrast to their targets, the huddled masses of the Twitter woke. (laughs) That's a good description of them. The letter's critics, as Michael Hobbs of the Huffington Post put it, were ordinary people who lack institutional power and point out the failures of those institutions. A woke response letter published at The Objective, which appears to have been penned by an illiterate, it may be that the real divide here is between those who can write and those who can't, claimed of the first letter, the content of the letter also does not deal with the problem of power, who has it, and who does not. It continued, Harper's has decided to bestow its platform not to marginalized people, but to people who already have large followings and plenty of opportunities to make their views heard. Now, Matt Purple says a few words on all this. First, he says, you don't get more marginalized than having a fatwa declared against your novel by a national government. Becoming the target of riots and book burnings, being forced into hiding, dodging repeated attempts on your life, as happened to Salman Rushdie, one of the Harper's signers. Another, Gary Kasparov, was exiled from Russia for supporting democracy. Now, to be sure, this hardly compares to the tribulations undergone by your average Huffington Post staffer, who risks NUI-filled glances from her co-workers every time she shares the wrong Handmaid's Tale gif. But it does seem like Rushdie and Kasparov might know something about standing up for free expression. It might even be that we should consider what they have to say. Second, he says, and more importantly, the reaction to the letter demonstrates just how oblivious the left has become to its own power. Back in the 1960s, to be a leftist was to be countercultural, Smashing monogamy and fighting the man. Today's left wants that same rebellious aura, except they've since marched through just about every major institution. Academia swallows whole their assumptions. So does the publishing industry, many corporate boards, much of the media, the federal bureaucracy, a healthy section of the Internet. Those who speak out against the Harper's letter are thus not remotely marginalized. They are heard loudly and often. Many of them have blue Twitter check marks, that garish amulet of the modern elite. This is how power works now. Money and rank matter less than they used to. Visibility and influence count for more. And by those yardsticks, the woke are plenty powerful. This is why a social media mob, an aggregate of all that power, can be just as coercive, just as authoritarian as an out-of-control government. Yet the wokesters refuse to see this. Matt Purple says they act as though by participating in cancel culture, they're merely exercising their own free speech, their right to critique authority, a far cry from the state shutting someone up. In this, they make a mistake usually committed by only the most doctrinaire libertarians. There's a tendency among some libertarians to divide the world into the private sector and the public sector. And right on, that bifurcation is healthy and necessary, even if these are precise and overlapping terms. But emblazon that line too brightly and the division can become a moral one. In other words, you start treating everything on the public side as suspect and worthy of criticism while rationalizing away the bad on the private side. That's just business being business, you say. You come to view Google, for example, as not just free to do as it likes, but fundamentally justified in its actions by mere virtue of its epistemological geography in the private sector. And Matt Purple says the woke left is now falling into a similar trap. 
We've got to take a quick break. We'll do that. We'll pay a couple of bills, and we'll be back with this article, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing an article from Matt Purple. This was published in the American Conservative. Meet your new elites, the woke cancel mobs. I, I, I have to confess, this is a subject I'd really rather not be talking about simply because by giving them the attention that I'm giving them currently, it, it, it seems to lend credibility or maybe even some validity to what they're doing. And that's really not my goal, but I think the threat is strong enough. And as we're going to talk about here in another article in just a moment, this uh, this woke culture, this this cancel mob culture is making it very difficult for even average people to feel like they can express themselves, whether it's politically or otherwise. There are just too many traps, too many uh, booby traps set for anybody who wants to speak their mind. In fact, according to a survey done by the Cato Institute, a new poll actually that they published here, only staunch liberals say that they feel free to express themselves. I wonder why that is. Back to Matt Purple's article. He talks about how the woke left is following into a trap, kind of like the really doctrinaire libertarians. Well, now, you know, there's public sector, there's private sector, and as long as what Google is doing is part of the private sector, they're free to do it. And the left is falling into the same trap. Matt says, as, as long as the government isn't kicking down anyone's door, they'll say, hey, there's no censorship at work, since their angry letters and boycotts all fall under the umbrella of private expression. But he says such private expression can be a bullying force all its own. A professor who risks being fired from his position and permanently stigmatized on the Internet because he says the wrong thing is not really free to speak his mind. Now, he may not receive a cease and desist order in the mail, but he's still being suppressed. But the left has willfully blindfolded itself to this. Over at the New Republic, Osita Wanuvu says when a speaker is denied or when staffers at a publication argue that something should not have been published, the rights of the parties in question haven't been violated in any way. And Matt Purple says that's technically true, but the result can be close to the same. The idea that the spirit of free speech can't be squashed by private actors, by a culture or a crowd, is absurd. From here, the, wo the woke left issues another denial. Cancel culture doesn't really exist. What about the Harper's letter? Or what the Harper's letter frets about, rather, they say, is just a smattering of incidents. That hardly amounts to a pattern. And he says, really? A University of Chicago economist was recently put on leave for criticizing Black Lives Matter and opposing efforts to defund police departments. A political data analyst was fired for tweeting out academic research that found that the riots in 1968 helped elect Richard Nixon. A child's author was sacked for saying that she stood with J.K. Rowling. A novelist stopped her own book from being published after it was attacked for, de for depicting interracial slavery. Another novelist had his book yanked for the crime of being set during the Kosovo War. Two professors at Yale stepped down as heads of a residential college because they'd suggested the university didn't need a policy against offensive Halloween costumes. 
a New York Review of Books editor resigned for publishing an essay by a broadcaster who'd been acquitted of sexual assault. Conservatives like Charles Murray, Charles Murray, rather, Christina Hoff Summers and Ben Shapiro have regularly been attacked and disrupted when they try to speak on college campuses. So how much more needs to happen before we're allowed to acknowledge a trend? This isn't prudent maintenance of the Overton window, weeding out genuine hatred and bigotry. It's the enforcement of the whims of a neighing infantile mob. Its aim isn't to inquire and improve, but to ossify and silence. The Harper signers thus aren't the real illiberals as the woke have asserted. Nothing in their letter suggests they want to use their power to silence their critics. And by the way, that is a terrific rule of thumb to use. If someone is insisting that you need to be silenced as opposed to simply offering this may be a better way to view the issue or to view the situation or to, to consider a solution. If it requires silencing you, number one, you can be sure they're afraid of what you're saying. They don't have enough faith in their own ideas to believe that they can carry the day and therefore they need to silence you. So as Matt Purple says, what they desire is the opposite, an end to hair-trigger punishments. This is the signers of the Harper's letter. They want to end those hair-trigger punishments that have sent a chill through our intellectual life. He says it shouldn't be remotely surprising that artists and academics support free expression. But what should really flabbergast us is that the consensus in Bohemia and the Ivory Tower is tilting in the other direction. He says, as I wrap up this column, Barry Weiss, one of the Harper signers, has just left the New York Times, citing a hostile, woke work environment. Steven Pinker, another signatory, has narrowly survived an attempt to cancel him. The new orthodoxy is intolerant, hell-bent on enforcing its views, pathetically shadowboxing an elite it long ago joined. And it threatens nothing less than our essential ability to communicate. Now, I'll have this in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. Read the essay for yourself. If you feel like it's worth sharing, feel free to share it. But do you find yourself having to think really carefully about what you say, or probably more, more likely, about what you post if you use social media? I've lost count of how many of my friends have said, you know what, I pulled the plug on social media, I've canceled my Facebook account, I just, I don't even go on there anymore. And I wish that I could be more like them. Unfortunately, what I do requires social media to a degree because it is a magnifier of helping to get out the word to, you know, to publish my podcast, to publish my blogs, to, to get things out there in, in a timely and cost-efficient manner. But I get where they're coming from. Because there's almost nothing left that is safe to talk about without to putting yourself at serious risk. And you don't have to be some kind of a you know, commentator. You don't have to be you know, a gadfly or a, a polemicist who's out there trying to stir people up in order to drive up your, your listens or your numbers or, or your clicks. I hearken back to the story earlier this week of the teacher who simply tweeted, Donald Trump is our president. Fired. I mean, if someone could show me the harm in this guy saying this, if he was if he was doing it as a representative of such and such school district and on behalf of all of the education establishment everywhere now and forever, Donald Trump is our president. OK, maybe that would be overstepping his bounds, but that's not what he did. And I think the, the goal here is quite obvious. It's to keep people like you and me so 
off balance and so unsure of what it's still safe to say or think or espouse that uh, we we aren't going to talk at all. We'll just shut up. We'll do what we're told. I think that's the whole idea. If if I'm reading this correctly, that's that's the whole point. I'm also going to link to an article. I'll put this in the blog in the uh, uh, show notes as well. This is from the Cato Organization's blog. New poll: sixty-two percent say the political climate prevents them from sharing political views. Now I understand we're talking politics in this case. This extends though to a lot of things outside of politics too. So I'm going to ask you: take off the political blinders when you look at this trend. The article says a new Cato Institute YouGov national survey of two thousand Americans finds that 62% of Americans say the political climate these days prevents them from saying things they be- they believe because others might find them offensive. Now, when that survey was taken three years ago, 58% agreed with that statement. Majorities of Democrats, Independents, and Republicans all agree that they have political opinions they are afraid to share. Strong liberals stand out, however, as the only political group who feel that they can express themselves— of staunch liberals say, I can say what I believe. Centrist liberals feel differently. 52% say, I have to self-censor, as do 64% of moderates and 77% of conservatives. It just demonstrates that political expression is an issue that divides the Democratic coalition between the centrist Democrats and their left flank. And, And this link has some really great graphs and charts to illustrate how staunch liberals stand out as the only group who feel that they can share their political opinions. And by the way, you understand, by putting this out, I'm in no way suggesting, why are we ought to silence them? No, I say let them say what they want. But by gosh, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. We should be free to speak as well, without fear of someone doxing us or contacting our employers and telling them, you've got to cancel him, you've got to fire him and get rid of him. I guess there are, there are nice ways to fight this, and there are head-on ways. That I, I know a lot of people who are just frustrated enough. They're just like, they're like Han Solo in, in the original Star Wars movie, you know. I prefer a fair fight to this. Bring it on. Let's, let's duke it out. I don't know if that's going to accomplish what we want to, but I know this. We can't just passively sit back and be quiet and expect anything other than to continue to be muzzled and then eventually straight-jacketed and then eventually led to a very tiny padded cell. you got to find the courage to stand. That's why programs like this one exist. Not only to, uh, to assure you that it's okay, it's morally right to stand, but to assure you that there are other people who feel as you do and you most certainly are not alone. This is The Brian Hyde Show.